When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard and Mike Molina and Michael Bryant and JB, but JB's uh, cracking one off. Isn't that what you said? <laughs> yep. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Uh, we'll be right back. Kick things off. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt. Then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Little news, little information. You know what I'm saying. You know, I was just looking at the uh, the board here, the stories today, and 
as life goes on and people hate each other more and Americans are battling it out and everybody's fighting over everything, the stories are getting weirder and weirder. Mm -hmm. Now, these are just the headlines. What really happened to Burt Reynolds? (laughs) Well, he got old. Yeah. Isn't that pretty much the whole story? Well, he lost all his money. He he lost all his money? A lot of it, anyway. How did he lose all his money? Well, that's, I guess, what this article's about. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to the Burt Reynolds story right now. With acclaimed roles in Deliverance and the Longest Yard, Burt Reynolds' swagger and charm made him a huge star in the 1970s. His on-screen persona was cemented by Smokey and the Bandit, a massive financial success that spawned two sequels. But despite his box office clout and sex symbol status, the once great star has faded away. And if you want to know where the guy from Boogie Nights has gone, then keep on reading to find out whatever happened to Burt Reynolds. Is he not around? It? I, I don't know this because I don't watch you know chat shows and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't think he's been in anything for a long time. He hasn't really been in anything? I don't know. So uh, though Burt Reynolds had his breakout with Deliverance, it was... Far from his first role, Reynolds began his career in the late 50s, worked steadily with small TV roles all through the 60s. He was actually on Gunsmoke as a blacksmith, wasn't he? If I remember correctly. Michael Bryant's having a conversation. Yeah, Michael Bryant's doing law. He's working <laughs> a law case while he's on here. No, that's no problem. I think uh, it's fine that he's still in prison. <laughs> he just, Sorry, I had, to buy, I had to buy something. Uh-huh. Well, I don't uh, know. In any I, case. Just, I just know that he was a football player, a college football player at Florida State. He was at Florida State, and he got hurt. He was one of those guys. He would have been great, but he got a bad knee thing. Uh, in any case, they go through the, his whole career, which I'm not going to do. I'm not going to read everything about Cannonball Run and all the rest of it. Uh, in the early 80s, uh, if the early 80s seemed troublesome for Reynolds, the second half of the decade only got worse. After doing a cameo in the Bizarre Smoking the Bandit Part 3, Sheriff Justice hallucinates talking to Burt Reynolds at the end. Oh. <laughs> Reynolds appeared in disappointing dramas like City Heat and Stick. Things didn't get any better from there. After doing a PSA with Judd Nelson about the dangers of teen drug use, Reynolds decided to make Rent-A-Cop in 1988. Someone thought it would be a great idea to pair Reynolds with Liza Minnelli as a disgraced cop and a prostitute who fall in love while hunting down a criminal. Because no one could act worse than Liza Minnelli. Do you remember that scene in uh, Arthur where the first time Arthur and Liza Minnelli kind of get realize that they're attracted to each other and she's nervous about it and she does that fake laugh? You guys remember that scene? No. Oh, God, it's so sad. He makes some comment and she goes... It was the worst fake laugh ever. Well, basically, this whole article is just them ripping Burt Reynolds' choices of roles that he's played. Well, I doesn't really talk about anything else. I was trying to remember the last thing I saw him in, and he's in one of those movies with Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Terry Crews and that whole group. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's one a, of those like pseudo action movies that's really supposed to be more funny than it is right. like good. Yeah, because it's all so that one liner after one liner. Is it Expendables? One of those? Yeah, I think he popped up in one of those. Let's see here. Um, the did, last did he do one of those. Or maybe I didn't I was, know that he did. Or maybe I was hallucinating. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember him one of those. Bruce Willis did. He hasn't had a major TV role in forever. Um, movies, it was not in Expendables. I just remember him in the uh, Longest Yard remake with Adam Sandler. 
Oh, God. Oh. Hmm. He's been in a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. The Last Movie Star, Pocket Listing, a bunch of amateurs, Delgo. He hasn't been in anything in a long time. He's. I mean, like he's doing a lot of direct-to-DVD stuff that no one's ever heard of. Oh, really? Yeah, like Apple of My Eye, Shadow Fighter, mm. Miami Love Affair. I don't even oh. know what the hell those are. That's not good. <laughs> so, in yeah, other, that's painful. so, in other words, one step away from porn? Yeah, pretty so much. Like. It sounds like. Well, yeah, he's totally broke somehow. Uh, he, yeah. he was foreclosed on in 2011. Ooh. He owed $1.2 million on his house somehow. Wow. But he didn't have $1.2 million to pay for it on his house? Nope, so they took it. Um, How did he not have $1.2 million to give them? I'm guessing he wasn't great with his money. He had to sell the Smokey and the Bandit Ranch, uh, which was rezoned for residential use. Well, did he get money out of that? That might have been. That must have been a good money maker. Well, that was a bankruptcy sale. So, oh, never mind. He can't have made that much money. <laughs> never mind. Um. Oh, he was addicted to painkillers for several years. Oh, that'll do it. So, yeah, that'll happen. So, you start getting addicted to painkillers, man. So, how do they wind up? Owing so much money on a house that I would have I know, $1.2 million? That or I they keep borrowing mortgages. against it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. They just keep borrowing against it. To, uh, yeah, you get addicted to painkillers, you make really bad decisions, I would think. Or there's a possibility that his agent may have stolen all his money. It doesn't say anything about that, but I don't know that he did or she did or whomever managed him. But that happens quite often, that, that people get yep. robbed by their manager. That happens a lot, as a matter of fact. Reynolds made a lot of cash during the course of his lengthy career, but that doesn't mean he was good at hanging on to his dough. In 1996, he filed for bankruptcy, but was able to keep his large ranch in Florida. In 2014, money was still a problem, so he held an auction of some of his personal belongings. Some of the items on sale were props and costumes from his films, and he even auctioned off his award for being the big, biggest box office draw of 1977. However, other items were a little more desperate like his used credit card. In other words, when you're trying to sell a voided American Express card, things aren't really going all that great. You tried to sell a used credit card? Yeah, which you couldn't wow. buy anything with. Uh. With wow. which you could buy nothing. I don't want to read any more of this story. It's too depressing. <laughs> God! Well, how old is Burt Reynolds now, Andy? He's got to be 80, isn't he? Yeah, he 70, is 82. He's 82 years old, and is he... Yeah, I, 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 reading this stuff is just oh man, it's tough tough yeah. to do. But I mean, here uh, here are the headlines from, from today. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. The many shady relationships of Michael Strahan, <laughs> weird huh. things everyone ignores about Garth Brooks' marriage, the disappointing truth about Doctor Phil, the truth about Trif- uh, Tiffany Trump. I don't even know who that is. It's Trump's daughter. Uh, the other Trump's daughter, daughter is Tiffany. She didn't look anything like the rest of the family. No, she's. Remember, her mom is Marla Maples, the one kid they had. Okay. Oh, that's Marla Maples. Yep. I do remember Marla Maples was in uh, Turbulence, the movie. God, what was it? What was the star's name? She was a big star. She was in uh, Dumb and Dumber. She was the love interest for Jeff Daniels. Lauren. What the hell was her name? Lauren Holly. So Lauren Holly and Marla Maples. (laughs) <laughs> are the flight attendants on this turbulent flight. You remember this, Melina? No, no, no. Speaking of Lauren Holly, we touched on it last week, but that scene when uh, Jeff Daniels hits her with the snowball, I just thought of that. Fantastic. Right 
she's playfully throwing little snow at him, like playfully throwing snow, so he pegs her with a snowball. <laughs> like hard. I mean, That's they're like less hard. than five feet away, and he winds up and chucks it at her. <laughs> Was, is she the one that was with the guy from England? I don't know. You know, the guy who ended up this. with the transvestite hooker? No, 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 no. no. Oh, no, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Yeah, Hugh Grant. Wasn't he with Lauren Holly? Yeah, mystery. No. I, wasn't he? You're thinking of Elizabeth, what's her name? Um, oh, Elizabeth Hurley. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And there you have it. But I, getting exciting. back to turbulence, <laughs> getting back to turbulence, Lauren Holly and uh, Marla Maples, Donald Trump's wife at the time, it was her only mo- movie role I know about. And apparently she was so horrendous at acting that when she does her lines, she whispers them. <laughs> uh, would you do me a favor and go uh, serve those people in uh, row number 22? Yes, yes, I'll bring them something. <laughs> she whispers her lines. Uh, she apparently was they, that bad at acting. And they get to do multiple takes. So that's the best take they came up with. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not really too good. The, the news is not really too good. Whatever happened to her? Is she, did, did she get any dough out of, uh, out of the Trumpster? Of course. Oh. She had to. I would think. You would think so. God, quiet, Michael, so did you hear? Yeah, I said, no, that's right. Yeah, she doesn't say a word, so you're absolutely right about that. She, they, she, she doesn't say a word about anything, so you're right. She, she's probably got to have a lot of money. Did you hear about this battle between Alec Baldwin and, and Donald Trump? Hmm. It's Which actually what, very what funny. Now? Oh, he, you know, he's he was back on apparently Saturday Night Live, and I think his Trump thing on Saturday Night Live is very funny. But apparently Donald Trump doesn't think it's so funny, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I don't... First of all, if somebody was doing an impression of you on TV, no matter how good or bad it was, wouldn't you say, God, that's really funny? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't yeah, you? Just, wouldn't you just go... Right? Not if it was malicious. Yeah. Which, right. Well, I don't know. It could or could not be. It depends on the day, I suppose. I got to read this for Michael because this is ma- magnificent. It's Trump versus Baldwin one more time. President Trump went after his most famous impersonator Friday after Alec Baldwin said some unflattering things to The Hollywood Reporter. While discussing his new show, Sundays with Alec Baldwin, the actor said it was agony for him to portray a person so ethically, morally, intellectually, and spiritually unqualified to be president. That prompted Trump to tweet, Alex Baldwin... <laughs> he called him Alex. <laughs> Alex Baldwin, whose dying mediocre career, D I E I N G, by the way, dying mediocre career, was saved by his impersonation of me on SNL, now says playing DJT. He refers to himself as DJT. Was agony for him. Alex, it was also agony for those who were forced to watch. You were terrible. Bring back Daryl Hammond, much funnier and a far greater talent. (laughs) You got Alec Baldwin and the president slugging it out. Well, the initial tweet was later replaced with an edited version that corrected the errors of Alex Baldwin and dying, D-I-E-I-N-G, Baldwin didn't seem too offended, suggesting his role as Trump would continue. Agony, though it may be, I'd like to hang in there for the impeachment hearings, the resignation speech, the farewell helicopter ride to Mar-a-Lago, you know, the good stuff. He responded in a tweet. In another, he wrote, and Mr. President, please ask your wife to stop calling me for SNL tickets. Baldwin's show will air on ABC. 
Yeah, see, that's the whole thing. I had the same reaction, Michael. Don't bring the family into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you guys, you kids can argue as much as you want, but don't be bringing my wife into this. That's way out of line, especially for a guy who called his own daughter a rude, yeah. thoughtless, thoughtless little pig and constantly refers to gay people in very negative terms. How does he get away with that? I don't really understand. And they're not even gay people. They're people he just calls, and again, that's an offensive word, if... He would be out riding his bike in New York City in the last couple of years, and if somebody like walked in front of him, he'd call him a faggot. Yep. But for some reason, yep. since it's Alex Baldwin, it's okay to do that. I don't yep. really understand that double standard. Here we go. Good evening, America. I am going to be so good tonight. I am going to be so calm and so presidential that all of you watching are going to cream your jeans. <laughs> You know what's so funny about that? Is that something that Trump would actually say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? That's, he actually would say something mm-hmm. like that. That's probably. I, uh, I, I don't, I don't I know why Alec is sending, you know, uh, our uh, ethical issues to the to president. I mean, he's got his own stuff, but, you know, it's like you don't really have the moral high ground between the two. Just, you know, keep doing what you're no. doing. It's, I, I think it's funny, and then, you know, he loves the that Trump is responding to it. Both of them are loving this exchange. I agree with that completely. I do think the impression is very funny. Uh, I, well, again, I'm going to be so wonderful tonight. Because <laughs> the president actually says things like that. He tells you how wonderful he's going to be. I don't know. What, Michael, what the hell happened to America? <laughs> Uh, who knows? I mean, you you have people on that talk about the '60s and the '70s, and we always had issues. It's just they're you know we got a uh, we got a president that tweets now, and whoever thought we'd have that? Well, we have people who care, yeah, and that, that's another thing we brought up earlier uh, about. Oh. That's being weird. <laughs> no, I was just waiting for him to stop talking. I mean, to, to finish talking. No, I was just going to say. Never mind. We, we got to take a break here, and we'll be yeah. right. <laughs> I'm going to hang myself, I swear to God. You aren't going to believe what's going to happen. We'll be right back on the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable, stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. My pillow is offering more than 50% off his four pack special which includes two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. What you do with the gun that's loaded? Oh, 
What is that song? Hangman Jerry by Aerosmith. Hangman Jerry? You know, I've never heard this song. Did they play this? Yeah. I swear to God, I've never heard this song. It's on the what? Uh, remember the Permanent Vacation album when they had their big comeback? Oh, yeah. I'm like, who would have, did, I don't think KQ played it, did they? Yeah, I've played it on KQ. Really? I do not remember that song. I was probably distracted by having 15 jobs. Thank you very much, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Great to be here. <laughs> but in any case, moving forward. Yeah, I, yeah that you're right. I, you got people from the 60s and 70s. I, have people ever gotten along? No, I suppose they have not. But I think the most disturbing thing to me right now is any little thing now just sets people off on these rants. And I guess we never saw them before because we didn't have Twitter and, and Facebook. So maybe that's the difference. That people you see all the rants now. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. They did. They sat at home and did the rants, but you didn't ever hear them because, you know, they there was no uh, social media. I guess that's what it is. Um, what we is, have. Uh, what is this, Mike? We've become a society that cares about pets more than other people. Yeah, they care more about their dog or cat, cat than they than, do human yeah, beings. Well, they do. You, you dogs and cats don't call you a Nazi every time you disagree with them. <laughs> Well, that's true. That's a very good point. Mike Huckabee hadn't even marked 24 hours in his new position as a board member of the CMA Foundation when he abruptly stepped down on Thursday as a result uh, a result of backlash to his appointment by country music fans and industry members who criticized some of the former presidential candidate's stances, most notably on the LGBT community and his ties to the NRA. The CMA Foundation has accepted former Governor Mike Huckabee's resignation from its board of directors effective immediately, said a CMA rep per the Tennessean. In the past, Huckabee has tied legalizing gay marriage to incest and polygamy. I didn't know he did. I had no idea he did that. This guy ran for president, and he was saying things like that. Well, there's a reason he but didn't win, I guess. Didn't they say it was country music backlash? <laughs> well, what are you trying to say, <laughs> mister? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused. Don't listen to you now. Unbelievable. I mean, was the Dixie uh, Chicks all upset or what? Yeah, that's true. The Dixie Chicks all upset. Uh, in the past, Huckabee has tied legalizing gay marriage to incest and polygamy, as well as railed against adoption by same-sex couples. CNN notes this backstory spurred critics to push back on Huckabee's involvement with the foundation as it grows music education programs across the country. A grossly offensive decision was one reaction from Jason Owen, the openly gay co-president of Monument Records. Uh, what a terrible disappointment, said Whitney Pastorek, the manager of Sugarland's Christian Christian Bush. Huckabee posted his resignation note on Twitter. G. Anthony, the mooch Scaramucci, lasted longer than me. He was more serious in his post titled, I uh, hate wins. I genuinely regret that some in the industry were so outraged by my appointment that they bullied the CMA and the foundation, he wrote. He noted his music and education background and said he hopes the entertainment industry will become more tolerant and inclusive and recognize that a true love for kids having access to the arts is more important than a dislike for someone or a group of people because of who they are or what they believe. Well, once again, I think if your belief is that people should be burned at the stake because of their orientation, that's probably not acceptable there, sir. I had no idea that Huckabee was a... Yeah, it's a non-starter, man. I'm sorry, but it's a (laughs) non-starter. 
I see. I don't pay much attention to these people like Mike Huckabee and people who run for president. I don't know anything about him. I had no idea that that was his stance on on uh, gay marriage and same sex adoption and all this. I, is he ultra religious or something? Yeah, he's a preacher, isn't he? Oh, he is. I think so. Isn't he? Uh, he's I a Christian so. minister. Oh, so, I, yes. I did not know that. I did not know that he was a Christian minister. Wasn't he? So he was a governor of what's what state was he governor of? Arkansas. Arkansas, yeah. Governor of Arkansas. So he was elected governor, and people knew that that's how he felt. I think this was 2008 to 2016. So I don't know. And you're also talking. You're also talking about Arkansas. Yeah, you are talking about Arkansas. That's true. Uh, a couple of the comments on that story. Everybody is offended these days. Uh, then a guy named Chris Farley. You use the name Chris Farley, really? Uh, good for them. I never would have guessed country folks would have taken that stand, but good for them. And then Rizon said, isn't the right wing always complaining about snowflakes? But as soon as something goes poorly for them, they complain about being bullied. So uh, I don't know. There are more and more comments on this whole situation. But I can you learn anything about anything anymore? Don't you have to just basically lock yourself in a room and do as much uh, independent reading as you possibly can? Yeah. I, I just, but, I don't know. Do you know what I'm, I'm saying? Shocked. Jude's being a bad I'm dog. shocked you read that many comments and didn't get to Tom Bernard socks. <laughs> well, that's because it's, this is in a national publication. It's only in the Star Tribune or... The, or, or uh, or TwinCities.com, which is the Pioneer Press. It's basically, oh, Garrison Keeler, uh, he should retire. Oh, Garrison Keeler, I like him. Oh, Tom Bernard sucks. <laughs> and I never, I never listen at all. I haven't heard anything that you said horribly in the last week, you know. I just, I love that when people tell me they haven't listened in years, but did you hear what he said yesterday? I, I just, yep. Well, if do you listen or do you not, what is the problem here? I don't know. It's just most of that, most of those things, by the way, and people don't really understand that. Most of those things are posted by competitors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That there, are, there are people that go and say they they tell the you know the phone answers and all that stuff. Hey, do me a favor and go and comment on this story about so and so because they're a competitor. So say something derisive about them. Try to tear them down. Try to make them look bad. I mean, I don't think people fall for that stuff anymore. They maybe did at first. So a question I do have for you because. Uh, when we were kids, obviously, there was, once again, there was no internet, but people would write letters to the editor, but a letter like that would have never made it in the newspaper. No. no. Obviously, the editor, the editor wouldn't have put in there, you know, Tom Bernard sucks, written in the letters to the editor section. <laughs> that wouldn't have made the cut. Imagine the person who hears something, writes it down, puts it in an envelope, puts a stamp on it, and then nails it. It kind of loses its force a week later. That is pretty much true. A week later. So basically all of this stuff, yeah, it's true, it, it, all of the comment sections. So why do newspapers do comment sections? Why would you do that? Oh, it can keep people active, keep people reading to spark controversy, because controversy sells more mm -hmm. um, medical pills, you know, more um, psychological issue pills. Well, and that's, we were, honestly, God, Catherine and I were watching the, I don't know if it was ABC, NBC, or CBS Evening News or what it was, but it was one of the national news programs. Every single commercial was for drugs. 
Yep. Either for human beings or animals. They were every commercial was for drugs. And it's exa- exactly what you're talking about. Anti-anxiety pills, I can't sleep, uh, my stomach hurts because I'm so uh, so stressed out. Everything was about anxiety and stress and an inability to sleep. It was terrible. There was clearly, so, but, clearly, I was watching ABC, night, uh, whatever news they call it, with David Muir, and it had mm-hmm. to be about 14 to 16 minutes of commercials. Oh, God. I mean, Isn't it, that show only a half an hour long? Yes. It was horrible. You know, he would say, and next, we're going to tell you about this. So I would flick over to another channel. And I say, oh, that's been a minute. Flick back and there'd still be commercials. Like, God, this is taking long. Then I'd flick back over or come back again. And it'd still be, and it was all medicine commercials, all medical. Yeah, it is. It is. It's all medical. Pharmaceutical companies own the news. And don't think for one second that the pharmaceutical companies aren't telling the news organizations, this is what we want you to report on. Now, look, obviously they have to report on the big stories, uh, whatever the situation is. But they do want the news to be as upsetting as they possibly can make it, don't you think? And then oh, they, yeah. And then they give you that one story of hope at the end. Yeah, that's right. They throw the, they throw the hope story in at the end <laughs> to get you to keep watching through the rest of the crap. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's, I think that's why, because I, you know, look, Walter Cronkite was very, very liberal in his politics. But I do not remember Walter Cronkite making sweeping political statements on the CBS Evening News every night. Do you remember him doing that when you were a kid? No, he no, just... He, ne- he never did that. He just discussed what what the uh, news actually was. You know, because they had yeah. people... They had people on the on the ground during the Vietnam War. And so he, he was getting first-hand information. He wasn't getting second-hand information. And he wasn't giving... Right. He wasn't getting stuff from Twitter. He was getting... Guys who were saying, hey, this is what I actually see. And there used to be laws uh, that they had to, if they ever did an opinion piece, they had to pick uh, someone from both sides of the opinion and give them equal airtime. That's what I thought. That is not the case anymore. No. So now they can say whatever they want. But you have a 24 news hour news cycle now, which has a lot of problems. And then you also got video cameras and people's faces all over the world. I mean, I don't even know how a candidate gets by anymore without some video slipping out of them doing something crazy. Yeah, because no matter where you are, whenever, wherever you go, you're pretty much always on camera now. Yep. In the streets, uh, in a lot of a lot of cities. I don't know how, how it is in Minneapolis and St. Paul, but I think there are a ton of cameras on the streets uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul now, aren't there? Yeah, yep. And then you got the bit, I mean, the audio, I mean, like the audio that like, uh, that gets played on, you know, different things going on in the city that we don't hear about. It's crazy. Well, the thing that scares me about that, to tell you the truth is they can put together audio and make you say things that you never said. And it sounds just like you saying them. Have you seen that? Uh, It's really, really scary. I don't know. To tell you the truth, I don't know if they're going to be able to use audio in court any longer. Uh, because it might not even be real, but there's really no way to prove that it's not real or it is real. You can't yeah. prove it. As I said, it happened to me one time cutting a commercial. I said some, a line in a commercial once that I never said, but there it was. It was me saying this line. Uh, it's, And that was, God, that was 10 years ago probably. 
But now they they were. I was going to start crying. That was my commercial. (laughs) Yeah, so there was a thing I never said to Michael Bryant commercial, Brad Sean Bryant. I never said that. I don't know what you're talking about. You you remember when the Cubs won the World Series? They cut a Budweiser commercial with Harry Carey and made it sound like he was. He had just commented about the Cubs. That's right. And it was That's actual right. and it was actual stuff from the Cardinals from the sixties. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's it's really scary. They could make you say whatever they want you to say now, and it is you saying it. It sure as hell sounds like you saying it. They just uh, digitally just is, Andy. How do they do that? It's all just digital cutting, or what is it? Yeah, yeah. It's just splicing. It's not that hard, but. What happened in this case with my commercial, because I asked the guy about it. I went back the next day, and I said, how did you do that? And he said, we can, like, I could say the line, and then somehow they, he said the line and then fed it into some digital system where when it came out, it sounded just like me saying it. What, what would that be? That sounds fake. Well, it wasn't oh. fake because I heard the line. But, like, when you do a commercial, you have all those different, you know, those lines. I mean, they can play with speed. They can play. I mean, couldn't they just duplicate a line and come up with the same word or the same sound? Yeah. I, yeah, I suppose. I think true. it was just they did a splicing. So that it was just take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and put it all together, and I said something completely different than what I really said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can always true. tell if a line has been spliced or not if you examine it carefully enough. Yeah, I suppose that's true. It's really not possible to make a line. Uh, you can't splice together a sentence exactly perfectly. There's always going to be something that they can. Yeah, know, they can tell that it's not real by analyzing it. I suppose that is true because they're, they, I mean, they have people as you said, you know, Harry Carey talking about the Cubs winning a World Series while Harry's been. How many years has Harry been dead now? A lot. It's been a lot. Yeah. It's absolutely true. So it's that stuff is frightening. Mm-hmm. There's no getting around it. That stuff uh but you know, I guess in court if they can if they can say, Hey no, that actually didn't really happen, you never said that. So they absolutely can prove that you never said that if you nineteen ninety eight. So yeah. That's when he died. God, twenty he, years. He's been dead for twenty years already. In fact it'll be exactly twenty years and sixteen days. Oh Harry. I always loved Harry. We'll be right back. Special guest coming up next, Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location. And those unwanted pounds, they're going fast. Unlike any other weight loss program, Nutramost is so easy. And they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a free informational dinner where you too can learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client, an owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, 6 p.m. at Jake's City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited, so call 763-333-7337 now to register. That's 763-333-7337. Tom Bernard here. If you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. 
And while other sellers and real estate agents hibernate, the Chris Lindahl team is selling homes like hotcakes. Chris has done a great job. We have our house on the market with Chris right now, as a matter of fact, and the video he did is amazing. The Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team for a reason. They play to win, and they've got the skilled players to sell your home fast. In fact, they sell a home on average every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until spring to sell your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401-SOLD. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the best of the Tom Bernard Show, brought to you by Brad Sean Bryant, or as he's known, the backup to my hard drive, every Saturday at noon for highlights from the past week and classic moments from our vault. What's with you today, Melina? <laughs> I don't know, the weather. Honest to God, you got all this weird stuff going on. Is that Parker, Andy? I believe so. Oops, sorry about that. I believe so. Parker, is it you? Here. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Parker. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Marvelously well. Hit series Gold Rush Parker's Trail. What? That was feedback. Don't worry about it. Well, that was feedback. Uh, hit series Gold Rush Parker's Trail heads deep into the jungle for its second season on Discovery. Gold Rush Parker's Trail returns Friday, March 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Central Time. Of course, on Discovery, 23-year-old gold miner Parker Schnabel has had many adventures in his life, but nothing has prepared him for this latest one. Parker and his crew of friends are about to head deep into the treacherous jungles of Guyana, South America, to chase a 21st century gold rush at the site of the legendary El Dorado. What's this all about, Parker? Oh, you know, looking for the next big mother load, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, how <laughs> how do they, the uh, satellite technology enter into this now? Can How do we know where all this, uh, all this gold might be? Whether it's there or not, we don't know. But so what would lead, what would lead you to the, uh, the El Dorado site? Well, I mean, we weren't actually looking for El Dorado. I mean, right, that, right. that might be what we're, we go looking for next. But, um, you know, Guyana is a, is a small country with not a lot of infrastructure, and they're finding like seven or $800 million worth of gold every year. Really? So, you know, I kind of saw it in the, in the mining world. I kind of looked at it as, you know, a you know, up-and-coming country where this is going on, and I wanted to go figure out what it was all about. Now, how, some, how does somebody as young as you get involved in the mining world in the first place? Did you grow up in the industry? How did this happen? Yeah, I grew up mining with my grandpa and, um, and have been doing it my whole life. And, you know, we've been on Gold Rush now for seven years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, running a, we're running a pretty successful operation, at least successful for the time being. And, um, you know, you've always got to keep an eye out for what else everybody else is doing and where, where all the gold's at, right? Absolutely. I, I, I got to throw him a, uh, a little statistic here. I like this. The hit series, uh, Gold Rush Parker's Trail, returns after a successful run last season as 2017's number one new unscripted cable series in men 25 to 54. That's pretty impressive there, Pally. 
Yeah, now we're trying to get the women that age. Well, you know what's interesting about that, Parker, is that television only used to care about the 18 to 49 demo, but they've wised up on places like Discovery. Uh, 2554 is where all the money is. I mean, 18 to 49 is nice and all the rest of it, but how many people under the age of you know 30 actually have any dough uh, that can go buy the products that you're advertising on Discovery anyway? So I think that's very, very smart that uh, yeah, Discovery... I mean- yeah, I'm 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 not in ad sales for Discovery Channel, but um, you know it's uh, it's definitely a tough environment to to be in business. You know, there's there's a lot of content out there right now. I'm I'm glad I'm a part of Discovery. They they do a good job with the, you know, it's it's a good place to be that's non-scripted and you know it's a good home for for shows like this. It is. Discovery. I, I wouldn't do it otherwise. No, I understand exactly. Discovery is a great channel. My wife and I watch Discovery quite often, and they, they do a hell of a job. Now, I do have to point this out. Uh, this is one treasure hunt that could cost them everything. What does that mean? Um, well, you know, South America is not quite the safest place in the world to be. True. Um, there is a huge amount of poisonous snakes and spiders and centipedes and, you know, bullet ants and all sorts of stuff that will kill or maim you in a hurry. So, you know, it's not it's not a safe place to go, that's for sure. And how about politically? I mean, is it is it I look, I don't I don't know anything about the entire uh, you know, uh, the entire area that we're talking about here, but are are we talking talking criminals and drug dealers and you have, you have to deal with all that stuff as well? No, luckily Guyana doesn't have um, as much like corruption or uh, you know illegal activity as a lot of other South American companies. I mean, it's not very far away from Venezuela. It shares the border with Venezuela, actually. Right. And um, and you know that a bit of that turmoil spills over, but for the most part, it is um, it is pretty safe. And from a from a you know from a people standpoint, like the people we met, ninety percent of them were very friendly and very good and great to work with you know we did run into some problems with uh, with like illegal miners there's a huge amount of illegal mining going on just people that don't do their paperwork or aren't supposed to be mining in the country and um you know don't follow the rules and that's not good no that's not good so how see i I just learned something because i i've often wondered how it is that people gain access to these mines in the first place so you do have to go through a long process to qualify in ways to actually do the gold mining in the first place. Yeah, and, and quite a bit of planning went into that, like even just for us to go down to Guyana on a, on a you know, basically what was a prospecting trip. And, you know, we did everything legally and got in the country the proper way, um, but a lot of people don't, right? Like, what are they, how, well, so how do they survive? How do they, first of all, because I got to believe it takes a ton of equipment you have to bring in with you. So how is that not very obvious to people that these people shouldn't be there in the first place? Um, well, I think it is pretty obvious. Like, they, they, you know, they know about it, but the government doesn't have the infrastructure to deal with it. Okay, well, that makes sense. I also see in, in, in the bio, it says here, Parker will leave his heavy mining equipment behind and tap the local population to teach him how to find gold by hand using only basic tools. So, so that just answered my question right there. So you don't hold Yeah, and, and, and for us, like, on the equipment side of things and, and our approach towards Guyana is, you know, I didn't want to be tied down by having to move equipment around in a country that doesn't have the infrastructure to do that. Right. We wouldn't have gotten anywhere in two months um, if we were lugging equipment around and, and doing that. And so, you know, this was a, 
this is the first step in mining in a country like Guyana, where you go down there with a gold pan and a backpack, and you know you tour around, and you well, we didn't tour around, we hiked around, we lived in the jungle, mm-hmm. and you know find local miners, find the spots that people know there's gold at, but you know can't get equipment to, and and explore those areas, you know. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I. Here's a question I do have for you. You talk about, uh, you know, tapping the local population to teach you how to find gold by hand. If there's all this gold there, why the locals, why don't they want to just keep it all for themselves and, and they don't really want other outsiders coming in there taking their gold, do they? Well, you know, we did find that to be a, uh, an issue, and that, that is brought up in the show quite a bit. Yeah, I would, you know, I would people imagine. That have, people that are running a good, successful business don't want to share their ground. You know, that's, that's, that's as old as mining itself. Sure, that would make total sense. So how do you find, okay, if they're already, they've already got an established business and they're doing well and they're finding gold and all the rest of it, how do you find, now again, you're, you, you've gone through the proper channels, the licensing, and you've gotten the okay from everybody and all the rest of it. Is it are, these, are these mines so huge that they can have their part of it and you could have your part of it? And, yeah, they don't really want you there, but it's big enough that you can both be there without you know, trampling each other? Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, it's like that the, the, maybe not that the mines are so huge, but like the, somebody might have a huge block of ground, but they're a very small scale mine with, with not, without the capital to, um, you know, mine everything that they've got, even in their lifetime, right? And so that's where you, you would bring somebody in and you'd get, you know, royalty payments to have somebody like myself, uh, mine the ground, uh, with them, which is the same thing I do on Gold Rush with Tony Beats. Like, Tony Beats owns his own operation, my mm-hmm. landlord, and he mines mm-hmm. for gold. And, you know, he keeps the best ground for himself, and then he leases out the rest of it and gets royalty payments. So you were talking about earlier about your grandfather. Has the mining business been in your family for, for three generations, more generations than that? Uh, no, it was just my grandpa, and actually my dad's not involved at all. I oh, mean, really? He supports me a lot and helps me with a lot of things, but my dad's not involved in, like, the mining operation um, in and of itself. And so it's, it was really, you know, my grandpa and I. My brother was involved a bit when he was younger, but he went uh, a different direction. He's, mm. he's in construction management. I see. And what, is it just your love of your grandfather that kept you in it, or your love of the mining, or both? Or why do you think it was that you, since your father wasn't involved, your brother was, but then didn't want to do it? Why do you, th- you why do you think that you, you, you know, taken your grandfather's love of mining and uh, brought it to the third generation? Yeah, it definitely started with him, and you know, he planted the seed. I. Uh, I never thought it was going to be such a viable business as it was for me personally, because it is very hard to get into, you know, finding mm-hmm. ground is very hard to get into the money that there's huge capital costs. And, and, um, and if you don't have some good successes early on, then it can be very hard to, um, it can be very hard to succeed. And, and I, uh, you know, I like the business and it has a huge amount of freedom. It really, uh, you make a lot of decisions. You make a lot of decisions that are based on your gut. You know, you, you, you have to make pretty uninformed decisions. You get as much information as you can, but it's still a lot of guesswork. And I, you know, 
I guess you could say I'm a bit of a gambler because I quite enjoy that. And that was my next question, actually. Is is the gamble a big draw for you? The, far, the fact that you're kind of putting everything on the line because it sure sounds like you are, is that a part of the attraction as well, the fact that you're just risking everything for the big payday? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I would hate to be in a business that's just like process. You know, if you own a deli and... Uh, you sell sandwiches and they cost you five bucks and you sell them for six and you make a dollar for every sandwich you sell, that would be kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, me right now, you know, I'm 23 and I, you know, I have no family to support. I have no, I don't even own a house. So now, if there's ever a time in your life to be able to gamble on a business that you love, you know, now's the time to do it. What's, what are your, your long range plans? Uh, do you, what do you plan on doing 20 years from now? Oh, I don't plan that far ahead. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> you don't even know what's going on tomorrow. So, so basically, uh, I, I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm doing this and I enjoy it. The problem with gold mining is that you know one of the one of the goals of gold mining is to mine out the ground that you have, like you mm-hmm. know, to mine all the gold out of it, and you know, do your reclamation so that the environment's good and keep moving on and eventually through that process you're not able to keep having those reserves to keep going at that size and we're already starting to we're already starting to run into that problem you know when we start doing four five six thousand ounce seasons um you have to if you want to plan five years ahead and you're finding five thousand ounces of gold every year then you have to know where 25,000 ounces of gold is, right? Mm-hmm, right. And you have to have that ground secured. You have to have the permits in place. You have to do, you know, all your uh, assessments and figure out, you know, how you're going to mine it. And, you know, that is stuff that doesn't really go, you know, doesn't really make it into gold rush too much. But, you know, that's my job. So how much is an ounce of gold worth? Uh, I think today it's like 1325. 1325. So you're talking about a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, not it's not millions of dollars, but it's tens of thousands of dollars, correct? Well, like 5,000 ounces, if, if it were pure, if it were pure, 5,000 ounces is, you know, around $6 million. Oh, it, oh, it is $6 million, okay. Because, I mean, that, that, that was what I was kind of wondering is that, so that really 5,000 ounces would be about $6 million if it's pure. Um and this is going to sound really stupid. I know we only have about a minute left. And it might sound really, really stupid. But what is it about gold? Uh, we, it's a, you know, a precious metal. I understand all that stuff. But what is it about gold that makes it so attractive and so expensive? It's rare and hard it's to just, get. It's just rare and hard to get. Is that what it is? Um, I think that's a part of it. But it's also, you know, it's been, it's been the, you know, it's been the currency for how many thousands of years? Yeah, yeah, it makes you know, like sense. It, it is the oldest currency in the world, and and at the end of the day, like I'm not, I'm not uh, a person that believes that you know governments are going to fail and that the you know dollar that has no that the dollar has no value and to own gold, I'm not that person at all. Right, but right. But at the end of the day, you know, as governments come and go, and you know, currencies come and go, gold you know, doesn't, right? You're absolutely right. Ladies and gentlemen, Gold Rush Parker's Trail returns Friday, March 30th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central on Discovery. Parker, nice talking to you again, sir. Have a wonderful day. Hey, nice talking to you as well. Thanks a lot. Everybody, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Tom Bernard Show. (laughs) 